Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. Hey, I feel I would feel just remiss if I just didn't say this. Um, I was, I was uh, like Matt, I didn't really know what had happened yesterday. My sister sent me a text about El Paso and then... Um, and then last night, Dayton. And if you were to go to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a minor prophet. He's not called a minor prophet because what he has to say is minor or minimal, but it's just a small book of the Bible, three chapters. And he has a, a, a question, a complaint. God, where are you when all the injustices are being thrust upon us? What do you care? And uh, God responds. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 4, his response isn't exactly what Habakkuk would like to hear, but in chapter 2, verse 4, it's a verse that Paul quotes later. He says that the righteous live by faith. Faith is the essence of things hoped for and things unseen. So in this world, we don't get all the answers to our questions, do we? And, um, and sometimes the best response is just to say, I don't know. And God in his kindness one day will reveal those things to us, but oftentimes it's not now. So Habakkuk is a great book to lean into as you... Think about what's happened in our world. Hey, we're in 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. If you have your Bible, um, hard copy of God's Word, or, or your phone, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 here in just a moment. And I'm specifically just going to preach uh, verse 4 and 5. And I um, want to talk about love. What's love got to do with it? Whenever I say that phrase, I think about Tina Turner. <clears throat> and it's hard for me not to say, if you don't know who Tina Turner is, you're of the younger generation. I barely made the cut, I realize. And it's hard for me to, to even say that phrase without wanting to belt it out. But because Daniel is so much more better at singing, then I, I will not do that. For you, I'll spare you the atrocity of my voice. But what's love got to do with that? I would submit to you that love has everything to do with who we are. It's possible to be an effective attorney, doctor, engineer, accountant, teacher, auto mechanic, and do so without being loving, right? You've met a doctor, you've met an engineer, you've met an auto mechanic, you've met a contractor. They're not loving. Their job is not to love you. And uh, they can be faithful and they can be successful. You cannot be a faithful follower of Jesus without being loving. You just, you just can't be faithful and you're not going to be fruitful without being a person of love. And, and the Bible says that we're dealing with things much more important than surgeries and contracts and cars. We're dealing with the very eternity of people's souls. We can't change that, but we can certainly influence and preach and engage and appeal uh, to people's lives, and we will either be appealing and intriguing, or we will be a repellent uh, because of the way that we live. And I, I have met some really mean people outside the church, and I've met, amen, I've met some really mean people in the church, amen as well? Okay, yeah, they're in here. Some of you are here, all right? We're thankful that you're here. And, and we want to be people who are loving, loving. You might say, listen, you don't know my situation. You don't know who I live with. You don't know my kids. You don't know my boss. Every single situation that you walk into is always going to be less than ideal and less than perfect because we all bring our brokenness and sin into it. There is no ideal 
perfect situation. Every single situation we walk into, every marriage, every parenting relationship, every church, every business, every recreation, every neighborhood, every ball team, everywhere you go is less than ideal because we live on this side of heaven and it's always going to be less than perfect because you are in it and I'm in it and we bring our jacked upness and our dysfunction and our sin and our brokenness and so what I want to do this morning is not give you a set of steps and examples but what we really need we really need Jesus because if, if, if you're changed by Jesus then you can live a life of love if you if you've not been changed by Jesus you actually can't be by God's definition a loving person I mean it's like wow that's kind of offensive I, I feel like there's lots of people who are loving but God is love right First John tells us that God, it's not that he's loving, though he is. It says that the essence of love is found in God. And to know God is to be the recipient of love. And then we can actually manifest that love to people. Listen to what's going on in the lives of the Corinthians. They were prideful. They were arrogant. They were engaging in divisions. Immorality was not being dealt with. I did with that person whatever I wanted to do with them. There were marital issues. There were divorce issues. They sued one another. They were selfish about the Lord's Supper. So when we do the Lord's Supper, we pass those little crackers that are stale and that you kind of endure and you know it's the body and you never say anything about those stale crackers. I'd love to have like a nice piece of just juicy bread, you know, something good, a burrito or something else. But we get these crackers. And, and, but back in the day in the Lord's Supper, it was a feast. It was a meal. Like they would come together in a, in a feast and people would, would go first, and they would get full, and they would eat the food, and they would drink the drink to the neglect of the other people. There was selfishness at the Lord's Supper, this very symbol that was to teach about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. There was selfishness about spiritual gifts. And one of the things you'll see on the screen, lovelessness is really serious. Lovelessness is really serious because it is a badge of our discipleship. One of the characteristics that God says will be a defining characteristic to the world and the world, i.e. people who do not know Christ, the world stands for all the people and all the cosmic forces that are in opposition to God. The world will know that you are a believer and follower by how you vote. The world is going to know that you're a believer and follower by what you listen to and what you go. The world's going to know that you're a believer and follower by how you love by how you love. The contrast is they're not going to know that you're a believer and follower of Christ if you're unloving. And our job in life, our number one job, is to make Jesus known in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think, wherever we work, wherever we parent, wherever we live, wherever we go. Our job, our number one job, is to make Jesus known. So lovelessness is a really serious issue. What's a definition of love? Here's a good working definition I got from a guy named Wayne Mack. Wayne Mack. He says, love is that deep concern for the well-being of another person which flavors all of one's actions into selfless concern and activity on behalf of others. If you're a note taker, I am sorry because you ain't going to get that, right? Let me, let me just say it one more time. Love is a deep concern for the well-being of, of another person which flavors all of one's actions into selfless concern and activity on behalf of others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, 31 rather, 
but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What's the excellent way? What's the, what's the pathway, the excellent way, the gift that supersedes all of the gifts that he talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 and that he'll talk about again in 1 Corinthians 14? It's the way of, it's the way of love. If you're a believer, you have the gift of love. And we're to do everything with love. Let's stand together as we read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. And I'm reading out of the ESV. So if you have a different translation, no big deal. But we're going to read this out loud. Okay, so I know this is maybe a little awkward. Maybe you don't do this, but we're going to read it out loud. Verses 1 through 7. Let's read this together. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is God's word to you and me. May God bless the preaching and the hearing of it. You may be seated. So I won't walk through all of what Paul does in verses 1 through Three, but he talks about the fact that I can be really generous. I had a friend of mine who got on a plane from Louisville, Kentucky, went to Detroit, Michigan, Osaka, Japan, then Manila, Philippines. We were there to share the gospel, and we were walking from our hotel to Kenny Rogers Chicken. Kenny Rogers is alive and well in the Philippines in this massive chicken place. And we were walking, and there were all these people begging for money. I mean, they're everywhere. And a friend of mine looked at this person and said, get a job. You've given about $2,700, you've raised money, you've given up three weeks of your life to go to the Philippines, and the first instance you have to be a person where you can show love, you say, get a job. Probably not falling in line with what God wanted that person to do. Paul goes on to say, if I give up my body to be burned, if I'm a martyr, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. If I have all faith and talk about the fact that I can, I can have such tremendous trust and reliance upon the Father in the midst of unbelievably difficult situations, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I can speak with the, as the greatest linguist in all the world, I've been to Cambodia and Vietnam, I've been to the Philippines and Indonesia, what if I could stand up in Cambodia where they speak Khmer, and as I was digging trenches for us to actually make outhouses for these uh, schools where people could go and actually have appropriate accommodations. What if in that moment where there was dozens and dozens of Kamai children, or I don't speak Kamai, and I just got to stand up and I began to speak fluent Kamai and got to talk about the gospel of Christ, which is the reason I came to Cambodia, but I had not love. Paul said, you're nothing. I mean, you're, he, he's giving all these examples of these great spiritual gifts of these great feats, of these great accomplishments, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. So lovelessness is a really big thing. The type of love that Paul's talking about is a spontaneous, unmotivated, creative, and free love. It's a love that speaks to respect, 
and care for those people that are different than us or may not seem attractive or appealing or, or who aren't like us in culture, gender, race, concerns, beliefs, but because they are a fellow believer or because they are simply a fellow human being, we love them. And what motivates a Christian to love is the fact that we have been the recipient of love, right? God did not love you because you were lovable. <laughs> he didn't look down like, man, they're just so great. I, I really want them on my team. God loved us when we were yet sinners. God demonstrated his love for us. So you'll see on the screens, love is really not a feeling. I hear all the time, I've been in ministry 18 years, pastoral ministry, and you get a front row seat to some glorious joys, and you get a front row seat to hardships. And time and time again, I'll talk to husbands or wives, and they'll say, I just, I just fell out of love. You don't fall in love. You fall into a hole, but you don't fall into love. You make a choice to love someone. And love is really not a feeling. Love is really not an attitude. Love is a deed. Or if you're old school, DC talk, love is a verb. Love is an activity. In the original language here in verses 4 through 7, there are 15 verbs. 15 verbs, not adjectives. What do adjectives do? Adjectives, and you're like, I don't know what an adjective is. I haven't thought about an adjective in like junior year. Please, I do not need an English lesson. Here's this um, short English lesson. Your high school English teacher called me and told me to tell you this morning about this. What do adjectives do? They describe nouns and pronouns. So when I go to the zoo, we always make a beeline for the rhinos and the giraffes and the elephants. I just think it's really cool. And, and we'll say, hey, that is a big rhino. Or that is a gray elephant. Or if we're at the um, lion exhibit and my second oldest, Lydia, who's adventuresome, who I always think is maybe like going to like jump over the wall to like pet the little kitty lion. She'll say, hey, can anyone pet the lions? And I would say a brave person or a foolish person would do that, right? Adjectives describe nouns, describe pronouns. What do verbs do? They denote movement action. So when you read 1 Corinthians, don't read it as love is patient. That's right in terms of our English translation, but really what Paul's saying is love does patience. Love does kindness. This is what, you, this is what love does. And love doesn't do envy. And love doesn't do rudeness. And love doesn't do arrogance. And love doesn't do fill in the blank. So love does patience. And love is described as a verb because love is only love when there's action to it. And the love that we see in the Bible is always action-oriented. It's never passive. right? I love them, but I'm not going to engage with them. I don't want to have a hard conversation. I'm going to love them. I love them too much to say that. You're not loving them. Love is always moving. right? The Father loved us, and He loved us, and He moved towards us. So in this short couple verses, we see two positive expressions of love. And then you see several negative expressions of love. So the first is, love does patience. Love does patience. It's made of a, it's a compound word. It means to um, long and suffer. Long and suffer. To, to suffer long. That's what the word patience means. It's a word used to describe a calm and gentle response to the kind of suffering, pressures, difficulties, or injuries that are caused by people, 
not circumstances. So there have been sufferings and difficulties and hardships that have been thrust upon you, not just by circumstance, but by people in your life. And the Bible says, love does patience. We are called to suffer long. Who suffers short? I suffer, me. Someone said me. Was that a me? Suffer, I suffer short with people. I don't suffer long. I don't hold out. They don't do what I want them to do or they treat me in, a, in an ill fashion. I bounce, maybe not externally, but in my heart. I've moved on. I'm grateful that God suffers long with me. One person said it reflects the willingness to live the situation out to the fullness in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself. Here's some examples of the hard part to suffer long when others are unfair or dishonest in their dealings with us. I don't want to suffer long. When others make promises they don't keep, when others misrepresent or exaggerate our faults and mistakes, I don't want to suffer long. When those individuals over whom God has given a person authority deny them the respect and the honor and the cooperation that a position rightly deserves, I don't want to suffer long, or when others who have God-given authority misuse that authority. I don't want to suffer long. When others seem to be only concerned about their self-interest, their preferences, their ways, their conveniences, I don't want to suffer long. When people hold a grudge against us, against us I don't want to suffer long. When others don't listen well and we have to repeat ourselves, right? Don't you get annoyed when you have to continually repeat yourselves to your kids or your colleagues and you're like, I just stinking said that. You don't want to suffer long. Like in what ways, in what ways as you think about your life, and this is not just, oh, self-help, we need to be more loving. If love, lovefulness is a badge of discipleship, when we aren't suffering long, what we are failing to do is failing to represent the God who suffers long with us. We're saying, well, this is how, this is how God treats me. He's going to suffer short. God suffers long with us. And so, God wants us to suffer long with, with others. And we root it in the Bible. We see it in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, and Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The long suffering of God is seen in the innumerable ways. The innumerable ways and the continuous wrongs that He experiences from us. God is patient and slow to anger. Right, and a great example, obviously the greatest example of Jesus. What did he do? He suffered long. Listen to some of the things that he was accused of. Accused of being insane and demon-possessed. He was accused of blaspheming God, uh, counting himself as equal with God, even though he was. He was accused of being the devil himself. He suffered long with the disciples. I mean, aren't you, I'm, I find it encouraging when I read about the disciples and they constantly made a blunder of things. Like, these were the men that, like, figuratively turned the world upside down, and yet they continually missed it. I know that's probably maybe not the most godly thing, but I, I find joy in Peter's petulance. I find, I find encouragement in Thomas's anxiety and doubt, because sometimes I have anxiety and I have doubt, and sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. Sometimes I don't believe in the promises of God. I don't see Jesus rightly, and I don't understand his identity, and yet Jesus is long-suffering with me. So love does patience. So when you get irritated with your kids or irritated with somebody and you don't suffer long, in that moment, not to beat you up, not to hate on you, but we're not 
being loving because love is action-oriented. Love is a verb. Love does kindness, he tells us. Love is patient. Love is kind. Or maybe a better way to read it, love does patience. Love does kindness. Right? God's posture towards man is seen in that he is kind. And this always baffles me. Who is God kind to? Well, who am I kind to? Let's just put me on the hot seat. Who am I kind to? I am kind to people who are kind to me. I am patient with people who are patient with me. And yet God tells us in his word in Luke chapter 6, he is kind to evil men. He's kind. And the root word of kind is grace. He's gracious and kind and charitable to evil men and women. The word means to be ready to help, to do good, to relieve burdens, to be useful, to be tender, to be gentle, to be genuinely sympathetic to the people around you. Love does kindness. And so it expresses itself in the way that we speak, when and where we say things, and not being domineering in our disposition and our will. Two positive expressions of love. Love does kindness and love does patience. And obviously these are manifested in um, a perfect way with the person of Jesus. Let me, let me work through what love does not do. Love does not do envy. Does anybody struggle with envy? I, I struggle with envy. I struggle with jealousy. Here's what jealousy or envy says. If you had to give a, a real simple definition, envy says, I want your life. I want your life. There's some aspect of your life that I want, that I don't have, and I want it. Envy is this disposition of dissatisfaction or dislike over the fact that someone else seems to be ahead of us, and we think we deserve it or we want that. Envy, I want their life. Here's some examples of envy. Being envious of another person's spouse. Well, I wish I had her. Or I wish I had him. Their marriage seems to be so easy, smooth. If I just had her in my life or him in my life, life would just be better and you envy. And what envy does is when other people are happy, you're sad. And when they're sad, you're happy. I mean, that sounds so like wrong, doesn't it? And yet all of us in this room, believer or unbeliever, have struggled with envy. Right? High school students, when you have a, a high school peer and they get the grade, they get the part, they, get the, they make the team, they get the girl, they get the guy, whatever it is, and, and they're happy, you're sad. But when something unfortunate happens to them, you secretly rejoice. I mean, you, like that's not just like a sophomore in high school. That's, that's, those are adults. We do this. We take joy in other people's misfortunes. The root of that is envy. Or I wish I had their kids. Their kids just seem to be so great and respectful. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. Thank you. They're always looking people in the eye, shaking their hands. Like, their kids are awesome. My kids are not. I want their kids. Another business person who's more financially savvy than you. A preacher who's not only superior in preaching ability, but speaks to more people and is more honored than you. I've never struggled with that ever. 
a lay leader who seems to get more accolades from the pulpit you never have, a family who never seems to have hardship, someone who has a nicer, more spacious house than you, another family who never seems to experience difficulties, someone whose wife is more respectful or submissive than yours, a husband who's more gentle and tender and loving and and gangy. You know what envy does? Envy destroys. Envy destroys, and love does not do envy. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.